Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And you know, Christy, we do a lot of advice shows from people from the past, even from now, people that are well-known. And you found and came across somebody that we all know and love. Actually, I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever actually seen one of his movies, but it was from the 20th century actor, Charlie Chaplin, right? Yes, one of the most well-known actors of the 20th century. Yeah, and I got to say, I mean, you see, he's iconic. Yes. But I got to tell you, and I know people out there are like, what, you've never seen one of his movies? But I don't think I've actually ever watched one. No, I've seen a lot of his old movies, but I have not seen the one with Robert Downey Jr. that portrayed his life. I've um, attended to do that before we started the show, but I (laughs) have not gotten to it. But what I did do was I accidentally ran across Chaplin World while I was in Switzerland a Mm -hmm. couple years ago, and I had some time off. And uh, from hiking the Alps, and I thought, you know, I asked around, said, well, you know, what's there to do? And I was in Vevey, Switzerland, and they said, oh, Chaplin World. And I was like, I don't know anything about Charlie Chaplin other than, you know, silent screen actor or whatever. And I did. I went to Chaplin World. I only intended on spending a couple hours there. I spent all day, and he was an absolutely amazing man. Now, when you say Chaplin World, is this like a museum or is this like a town or what? what is this? This is his house and his studio. Okay. And they've made it in 2016, I think it's the year, they actually made it into a museum. Gotcha. And okay. his kids now still run the museum. And it is very, very popular. It is very, very nice. It is very user-friendly. You go through the house, which is really cool. And then you go into a studio, and it still has all the props and everything that he had when he used when he made his movies. It's kind of like going through a little bitty mini Universal Studios backlot kind of thing. Yeah, it was really cool. And so I spent all day there and learned so much about this man that I really didn't know that much about. And when we talk about living a life on purpose and kind of challenging people to think about what they think about, this is what he did. And this is what he wanted to do. And I found that that really resonated with me. And it was like, man, if there was somebody I could go back in time to meet, I think he would be a really interesting person to sit and talk to because he stood by his convictions no matter how much he lost in the process. Right. And he did lose a lot, as if people yep. know his history. And that's, that. I mean, that says something about a person. Exactly. So... Now that you, we know that you went to his museum, and it, just tell us a little bit about the man, because i got to say, I still don't know much about him. Well, he was born in London in 1889 to professional entertainer parents. Oh, okay. Didn't his, know that. Yeah, his parents, not to a great family, I would say. <laughs> they, were both, all, they were both entertainers, but not necessarily the best parents. They had alcoholism and mental illness issues as part of it, and he was pretty much on his own from age seven. And his actual first acting gig when he was five, (laughs) his mom had taken him to the stage where she was performing. And sometime in the middle, she lost her voice. And the manager actually pushed Charlie onto the stage to take over for his, his mom. And to everybody's surprise, the audience absolutely loved him at five. I guess (laughs) he was very, you know, quick and witty and, um, his charismatic mom, and yeah his mom never went back to acting uh and died just a few years after that but oh. from that incident but that kind of got his taste and got him on the stage and he actually started then really acting at age seven so since his parents again were well known 
he actually got a gig with the British Traveling Company at the age of 14, which eventually brought him to the United States. I did not know that. So he's been in the biz from the beginning. I mean, he only had from zero to five years, and now he's taking it on, right? right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> another Betty White, right, yeah, right. that had the, their whole career. Um, he was married four times, each time to a younger woman, regardless of what his age was. <laughs> That's one of the things he's known for, was marrying women that were teenagers. He married actress Ona O'Neill, which was a daughter of American playwright in 1943, and they had eight children together, wow. and he had a total of 11 from his four marriages. But she was very iconic when it comes to his life and well, that I got to experience in the house in Switzerland, which is where they lived together until his death. Oh, Actually, okay. Until her death as well. He was both an actor and a director, and I will add a huge visionary, I believe, uh, right up there with Walt Disney in his own rate, I think. He was one of the first actors to become wealthy. I oh. found this really interesting. He made his first film in 1914. Okay. And then he signed a movie deal in 1915, making $1,250 a week with a $10,000 signing bonus in 1915. And then in 1916, he surged to $10,000 a week with a $150,000 signing bonus. Man, that was a that lot, was a of, lot money. of money. Yeah. Wow. Um, he was the one of the first to sign a million-dollar deal, and I did not know this, that he was a co-founder of United Artists, which is now part of MGM. I did not know that either. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. His career spanned 75 years from childhood till be- the one year before his death at age 88. So, I mean, he acted all the way up till 187? yeah. And it was interesting because if you kind of look up and you get the American take on why he never became a United States citizen and why he left the United States, it really is drastically different than the story that you get in Switzerland. Isn't of why. it always? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Because uh, a lot of people assumed that he was a supporter of Hitler. Um, he was banned from the USA for 20 years because of that. He had a, basically a hate-hate relationship with FBI Director Edgar Hoover. Yeah, that is true. Because he was very outspoken about uh, political matters and that uh, they he left to go promote one of his movies. And actually, when he got out into international waters, they informed the captain of the vessel and said he will not be permitted back into the United States until he sits down with the FBI for like a question-and-answer session. And he said, yeah, I'm not doing that. He, that he did not return uh, for 20 years at that point because he was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. He was very outspoken about the Russians, and he made a statement that said, well, at least the Russians are out fighting mm-hmm. as opposed to what you're doing, which is nothing. And that really upset Edgar Hoover. And that, according to the Swiss, is what really t- triggered his um, demise of the United States. But he was offered American citizenship, I think it said three times, and he denied it. I wouldn't, I don't he, like he, he did not think much of Americans. Well, and I got to tell you, when we sit here and we hear the stories of J. Edgar Hoover and all the kind of crazy, wacky stuff that he did at the time, uh, this is not far-fetched. Yeah. You know, he had he had immense power, and he could just do stuff like that. Presidents were afraid of him, so well, and that you doesn't had seem odd. Charlie Chaplin, who had a huge voice at the time. Mm-hmm. Huge. Um, he was a very, very powerful figure. And 
his wife, again, she was the daughter of an um, American playwright, uh, very wealthy herself. She actually gave up her American citizenship in 1954 over this whole mess with Hoover and not allowing her husband back in. She became a British citizen then. And, but he was quoted as saying, and I quote, Whether I re-enter that unhappy country or not was of little consequence to me. I would like to have told them that as soon as I get rid of the hate atmosphere, the better that I was fed up with America's insults and moral pompastry. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's too far-fetched from today, actually. No, probably not. But yeah, he was definitely not a big fan of America. But in 1972, he received one of his three Oscars, which was an honorary Academy Award for his life work. And he did come back to the USA for the first time in 1972 to receive it. Interestingly enough, he received a record-breaking and record-holding 12-minute standing ovation from the audience in 1972. Really? So nobody has broke the record since, huh? That's what it said, wow. yeah. there you go. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth in 1975. So he's Sir Charlie Chaplin, yes. right? Okay. <laughs> One interesting fact is after his death... Two men duck up his body and held it for ransom. You're kidding. No, that's one of the, if you look up, you just do a search, that's one of the big things that, and it, interesting, his wife, she refused to pay the ransom saying, I quote, Charlie is in heaven and in my heart. And so she refused to pay the ransom <laughs> and he was recovered and reburied in a concrete vault for safety. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, where do you go from there? It's like, yeah, you know, I'm not paying it. You know, right. it's like now you've got a corpse that you can do nothing with. I mean, right. they should have thought this out, talked it over with five other friends to see if this would have made sense. <laughs> right. Wow. Another interesting fact about Charlie Chaplin, that he entered a lookalike contest in 1975 and he came in third. Okay. <laughs> all his films were in black and white, excluding one. And so with all the eye makeup and the, uh, with the black and white film, no one knew that his eyes were bright blue. So yeah. in real life, no one believed it was him because he didn't have brown eyes. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> that is interesting. It tells a little bit about who he was that he would enter this contest. Um, um, but in 2016, again, his home and studio in Vevey, Switzerland, was restored to its original state and is now called Chaplin World and a Museum. When you go through the house especially, it honors Hollywood and his friends, you know, Ronald Reagan and a lot of other people. Are, are well represented and honored within um, in his home. But the man loved his kids. Oh, yeah, and 11 of them. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he was always playing with his kids. He, he didn't differentiate between the boys and the girls. I think, like, he was closest to one of his daughters, and he would go play ball with her. Now, granted, he was considerably older at this point than his kids, but there is just a whole house full of memories of him just focused on his kids. And one of the things that it focused too on was that when he died, they had a lot of money, but he had made enough money early in his career that when he was banned from the United States and started his own studio and gave up all of his rights to universal artists and all those things, that he made a commitment that he was only going to make movies to make a difference and prove some kind of point or make some kind of comedy gesture to represent something 
uh, some hardship to people or like one of the films that they focus on in his museum in the studio is uh, a movie where there's an orphan on the street mm-hmm. and his character kind of befriends the orphan and he they were talking about that that you know his kids were so important to him and that orphans were such a problem at oh, that yeah. point throughout the world that that kind of wanted to he wanted to shed light on social issues again his why he was thought to be a uh, Hitler sympathizers because he made a movie where he looked like Hitler and he made fun of him. Right. And people thought that that was him promoting something positive for to him. He was making comedy about something that he completely despised because mm-hmm. he was not in favor. He was, he was definitely a humanitarian and somebody who was very vocal um, and became more vocal as his life went on, on political issues and wrongness towards other people and had a true sense of fairness. Um, but it's interesting because the drastic difference between what you would read on, you know, Our Google searches versus here <laughs> versus um, stuff that's backed up over there. Um, but he left, he went to Vevey, Switzerland, lived there, and lived out the rest of his life. Well, I mean, it sounds like he had an incredible life. You know, even though he was not allowed here for 20 years or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be, it sounds like he had an extraordinary life regardless. So, good for him. And, you know, to take that kind of stardom and risk it all just to make movies that make a point. Mm -hmm. Because from what it said from him there at the studio, it said that basically from that point on, none of his movies made much money. They were Mm -hmm. huge worldwide successes, but they didn't make really much money because that wasn't really a priority. He had enough money. His wife had enough money. They had a great life in Switzerland, and it was not about making a fortune or making money. They they had no intention of ever leaving where they were. I mean, this place is right on the top of a Swiss Alp overlooking Lake Geneva. It is beautiful. I was going to say, there's nothing um, there's nothing more beautiful when you see those those actual iconic scenes from that. Yeah, was, and it's right there. Just like, just like if you're watching, you know, looking at one of those pictures, it is absolutely beautiful. It's uh, his whole entire area, which is a pretty big lot. I mean, it's I I would bet you it's at least probably 50 acres, maybe. Oh wow! And it's uh, all it's surrounded in the mountains by vineyards. Oh, okay. So near, I actually walked up there. I took the bus back, but I actually walked up there, and it was just through vineyards after vineyards after vineyards. It was really, really pretty up there. Wow. So I could see why he completely fell in love with it hmm. um, up there. But Well, now that we know a little bit about the man, he actually had a lot of great advice for people mm-hmm. that you know were, I guess, up and coming, or just if they wanted to hear something profound, right? So what, were, what are some of the pieces of advice that you found? Well, he had said, when you're sad or upset, always remember these points. Okay. And then he listed the points. So I, what we're going to talk about the rest of the show is the points that he had said, if you're sad or upset, kind of remember these things and kind of get you back into center and, you know, move on. The life is continuous motion and you can move your way through. And so from here on, this is these are Charlie Chaplin's philosophy that if you're sad or upset always remember okay the first one is that pain is part of growing no we've said that a lot literally literally or figuratively that's true this is true uh research shows that challenges stimulate cell growth in the brain and help us to cope and build resilience uh the university of buffalo studied a group for three years and found that there is a definite correlation between the number of adversities in a person's life that they have had 
and their ability to cope with adversity in the present. Oh, sure. That would um, totally make sense. Yeah, exactly. The study concluded that those with a lot of adversity in the past cope with losses in their life um, and actual physical, they dealt with physical hardships, physical mm-hmm. pain better than those that had had little adversity in the past. And those that had little, uh, they went to the doctor more, uh, even for just common ailments. Uh, they took far more medication than those that had had, quote unquote, harder life um, and what they deemed to be more adversity. Well, I mean, we're not recommending people go out there and really have a bad life so <laughs> you can experience a good life. What I think it's basically saying to me is, is you, you got to roll with the adversity that comes in, you know, mm-hmm. because it's going to happen. And it sounds like to me, at least, when people are going to the doctor more or they're having a harder challenge in life, is because you're, I mean, paddling against it. You know, you're trying to stop it from happening. Where if you just kind of roll with it, maybe it won't hit you as hard. Well, the researchers, there was a quote that I found interesting. It said, our finding revealed that a history of some lifetime adversity relative to both no adversity or high adversity predicted lower global distress, lower functional impairments, lower PTS symptoms, and higher life satisfaction. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, I I think that that's true, but... Boy, that's tough, right? When you're going through it thinking you're going to get, get, get out yeah, of Nobody else has ever gone through this and no one would ever understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it definitely helps you master hurdles, um, learn from past mistakes, build better support networks. Oh, sure you, you do. You know, when yeah. you're going through adversity. Uh, it helps to stimulate cell growth in areas of the brain that relate to coping. That was what we revealed in the research. Absolutely. Um, and hopefully you can stay in a more place, a better place of gratitude. I think when you're facing more adversity. Mm-hmm. And a Charlie Chapman quote was to truly laugh, you must be able to take your pain and play with it. <laughs> and again, yeah. most of his movies were all based on his self convictions of some sort um, and what he believed in. Well, it does. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you have to roll through it. You have to get through it. But I think the next one is what we really need to keep in mind. When you're going through it, right? Exactly, and that's everything in life is temporary. Yeah. Right. Change is unavoidable. It uh-huh. is. And it's not always bad. But boy, don't I, it, we think so. Right. I mean, I, even me. I mean, I, I think I embrace change a lot. That's what I think. But when it comes rolling my way, I start to backpedal, you know. And well, I think it, all of us, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, no, I like it this way, I like it this way, I like it this way. Yeah, that devil you know is better than the one you don't. Exactly, yes. And what Mary Prevalonis had said in one of our shows was that anytime that you're changing something, it's scary because it means that you're losing something. Mm-hmm. Something familiar, generally. And I guess if you seeked it out, I think that's what mm-hmm. makes the difference, is if you, if you actually seek it out for the change, whatever that might be, you know, a, a better skill, better paying job, you know, at looking for a mate, whatever that is... I think it's a little bit easier to understand that that change is coming. But when you don't and change happens to you, then I just think that that's what's really hard for people to actually start to get through. I agree. And I think we need to find ways to prepare for the change. Absolutely. Again, since the brain is designed to keep us safe and to see patterns, and it's designed to see the bad patterns before the good ones, the first thought of change is always going to be bad. I mean, that makes yeah. sense. That's the way the mind and the brain works, and that's the way that we have evolved into survival. 
Exactly. Just yeah. Seeing those scary things and those bad things first to avoid them. Well, and how many times do you stay awake at night going over something over and over and over in right. your mind? A lot. A lot. You know, because it's like, I could have done it this way, I could have done that way. Or that if something's coming up, maybe you're up for a new job or you're going for a promotion and you're working your brain over and over and over to see what you can do to get through it and you're not getting anywhere with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that I've read too, said that change reminds us that time is continually passing. That's true. You know, I mean, that's true too. I mean, again, the more I think of getting older and spending time with people who are older, I'm thinking, man, yeah. I mean, you just can't do 10 years from now what you can do today. And that time just flies. And there's a lot of fear involved in that of, you know, what what things are going to change? What can I do? What I can't, am I not going to be able to do? All those, you know, those, and those failures that come with that. And I think change a lot of times, at least for me, makes me feel out of control. Well, sure it does. And who wants to, we don't want to be out of control. No. Right? We want to feel like we have control. And, and when change happens to you, whether it be from your choices or someone else's, that's a terrible place to be is to, a feeling of being out of control. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, think about every time that you feel out of control at a new job or some new venture that you're taking on because you don't know everything that's happening and you're right. you're trying to do it on the fly. And yes, it's a it's, it's terrible feeling. And again, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've learned from doing this shows and that I didn't know prior three and a half years ago about that the brain just sees patterns. When we did the show about the facts about the mind and that 90% of our decisions are made in the subconscious <laughs> that are based on these patterns sure and that we don't even think we're making a decision. We're just reacting to what we buy, what we eat, where what we go, we what, we, what we know, uh, views on things mm-hmm. based on past patterns that may or not may not be accurate at the time. Yeah, they're only based off your particular situation in life. Right, exactly. Yeah, so but I mean it doesn't even matter at that at that stage if you want to grow, then grow. And you know, and I know you have another great quote from him. It says nothing is permanent in this wicked world, not even our troubles. Yeah, exactly. And it, that's true. I mean, it you think true. about it. I mean, one time at one point you're going to die, so those troubles are going to die with you. Right. But even before then, you know, why do you want a life full of it. Why do you want to wake up in the morning and there just be another situation you have to deal with? And those are the things I think you can look at when we think nothing is permanent. You well, know, and just think for me, what I think of is that when it's bad anyway, is life can go from great to terrible in a second. Sure can. It can equally go from terrible to great in that same second. It sure can, yeah. So I really try to stay when I'm in that depressed or down state. I, I just th- try to think, you know, yes. Well, it turned to bad. It's going to turn to good. It, right. it is inevitable. It will, whatever this is, yeah. it too shall pass. You know, have your moment. That's right. what it is. I mean, it's nothing permanent. Nothing came to stay. You're not building a house here. You know, have your moment and move on. Which goes into his next one that says, Worrying and complaining changes nothing. Well, doesn't it? Isn't we that, that, that the all truth? The time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, boy, it makes you feel better, you think, for a second. Mm hmm. Um, but worry is never going to meet your needs. No, it, it can't. There's no way it can't because you're stuck in a pattern. You know, it, it's not decision making. 
according to Psychology Today, Sarah Benton, she said, worry is defined as allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Yeah. Again, what we focus on increases, right? The law of attraction. Research found that worry did not lead to an action, but only to more worry. It can't because you're not <laughs> thinking of solution. You're only fixated on the problem. Right, and then that's all that you're going to see is more of the problem. Right, right? yeah. So it's like whatever that problem is, that you will replay it in your mind over and over and over again, and you're not actually coming up with some solution. And my favorite part is when then when people want to talk to you about their worries, then you try to offer advice. No, that's not going to work. Right. Well, then you're not you're in the worry yeah. stage of this. There's nothing. Nobody can tell you anything different, right? Well, and it was interesting that Benton um, had a good, really good point in this article that she said that if you worry all the time, then you lose focus and you fail to see when real danger then applies. Yeah, Is that the whole sense. cry wolf thing, mm-hmm. right? But if you're constantly worrying over everything, little and big. The little things that either don't matter or can be fixed with one choice, you're not going to see a difference between the little and the big. And, man, that is a terrible place to get stuck in. Oh, I agree. And you think about some of these folks that they, they worry about what kind of preschool their child is going to go to. So then that way they can get into Princeton when they're you know, 18. It's like, how do you worry that far in advance? Right. You know? they, didn't, they haven't even had their first birthday yet. Yeah, and we're worried like... about that. They, some people live in a worry state. and. That is such a fearful place to live. I would think so. Um, she's also said that those that don't stay in the worry state are able to choose concerns wisely and respond better. Yeah, I would that agree. makes perfect sense. I mean, we all worry. In that, sure. I mean, we do. We worry that you know we didn't make our mate happy enough, or we worry about whether we did the right thing, said the right thing in that interview. But at the same time, if you just take a step back. Just take that five minutes to take a step back. Breathe. Breathe through breathe. it. Breathe. Yeah. Breathe through it. Right. And, breathe you know, through. just not let it consume you because yeah. you can't get anything accomplished. Because then you're not going to sleep, and then you're it's gonna you're going to be more apt to stay in that worry state, and right. then it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, we can't stop you from worrying. I mean, hell, I worry. But then you just, you got to take that five minutes to think about something else. So then that way you can let your brain move on from this. Right. Well, and research indicated that 85% of what subjects worried about did not actually happen. Mm -hmm. And of the things that did happen, that 15%, 79% were manageable. Right. But we don't see it. No. Right? Because we're so focused on what is wrong that we don't even look to see, you know, what could be an easy out. And then a lot of times, I think we create the scenario well, don't that we, we don't want, right? We just, by focusing on it. Well, and I mean, my whole thing is, is some of the ways that I get out of it, and I don't know if anybody else does it this way, is, you know, I think about the end result. What was the absolute, terrible, most profound end result that could happen? Yeah. And if I can live with that, then everything else I can move on from. There you go. Well, and Charlie Chaplin's quote on this one was, life can be wonderful if you're not afraid of it. All it takes is courage, imagination, and a little dough. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's the thing true. with the world championships that I did. You know, that was one of the catch things that they used, you know. Do you want it more than you're afraid of it? And mm. I think a good life, and, well, you know, we did a show on living a good story. I think any of those things, if you want it more than you're afraid of it, that's I think good the quote. change, I think the worry, I think all these things we've talked about so far are going to be less 
because you're willing to go through the bad, the worst case scenario, sure. and forge ahead. But that gets you out of the worry, right? It gets you into the forge ahead. Doesn't mean it's going to work out. No. But you have a far better chance of it working out by forging ahead than you do sitting and worrying about it. That's absolutely true. Because that, <laughs> that's one of those things that they always talk about in the film industry. It's like, man, there's millions of talented people, but they all don't become, you know, wonderful actors and high-paid actors. Yeah, but they're never going to get anywhere if they do nothing either. Right. So, when, said Jane Lynch said that her manager frustrated with her early on because she said that she'd work for, uh, I think it was what, $50 and a steak dinner or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they were saying that she would take anything. She said yes to anything mm. because then she finally got her foot in the door into something. Right. That's yeah. how it works sometimes. Yeah, exactly. The next one is your scars or symbols of your strength. I would agree with that. Yep. I have a scar above my eye, and that was from a bar fight. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I think it really goes hand in hand with number one, that pain can lead to growth. Yes, it can. Both literally, um, you know, working out grows your muscles, but it also leads to you being really sore. Mm -hmm. Um, I think hard times, you're able to lead to better coping skills, and really the future hardships are just better and much easier to cope with, I think, as we said in the first one. Because you can just, I don't know, work through them. Because you've already done it. You've already gone through the bad stuff. So this is nothing, you know, yep. whatever that is. If you can keep perspective on that, you know, yeah. I think that that's a lot of it is saying, okay, I've never went further than I have right now, mm-hmm. but I never went further than I did yesterday or I never went further than I did last month. And I, now I'm here. Right. And so I'm five dots ahead. So if I could get five dots ahead, why can't I get six dots ahead? Why can't I get seven dots ahead? And realize that that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Seldom things are. Well, exactly. And what he said was, life is a tragedy when seen in close up, but comedy in a long shot. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? It is the truth. Because, you know, you sit there and you think about stories you tell. And as you're going through them, you are incredibly mad, upset, just, I mean, furious. Then you tell this story five years later, and you're just laughing. It's like, I can't believe it was like... And it is. He's absolutely right. And your question to me a lot of times, you know, is this going to matter six months from now? Right. And sometimes, yes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does matter six months from now, but that's a whole lot less yeses than... Yeah, no. (laughs) I mean, is it going to matter next week? Right. You know, at work. Two right? hours. I mean, now. I don't know how I, I could sit here and name in just the last years of my work that I stressed over things that absolutely make no difference right now. <laughs> and looking back, really made no life or death difference. And I wasn't a brain surgeon, so it didn't really make that much difference at the time <laughs> for me to lose sleep, lose time with my family, lose life based on a stress or a worry over something that makes no difference right yeah, now. Yeah, you come to find out that, you know, you've done all this work and they didn't even look at it hardly or right. whatever well, that, that is. that happens all the time. Yeah. Right, that happens all the time for people that work in a work, in, you know, uh, office environment yeah. or whatever. You, you spend, know, you got to have this done by Monday. Yep, you spend and, all weekend, stayed right. up all night, they look at it and it's like, oh, huh, I didn't know that. And then they just, just toss, toss it, it away. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, been there. Yep. Um, the next is every little struggle is a step forward. I I, I, agree I, I with think that. that if you embrace that struggle, right? I think yeah. people get stuck in the worries. People get stuck in some of this stuff, and they don't move forward. And some people, I think, go through a good part of their life stuck. 
Well, and, and again, if the struggle is something you want to achieve, if the right. struggle is yep. you getting up every morning, going to a job that you absolutely hate and cannot stand the people that you work with and every day you just, it, you, you're exhausted, then go do a struggle that you want to do. I mean, I right. get it. Not all of us can just quit our jobs and things of that nature. But, but we could all work towards, towards finding something. a different job, right? And exactly. that's, a, that's a thing, right? You know, people stay in jobs for 30 years because they don't have a four-year degree that their company would have paid for 30 years ago. Exactly, yeah. You know, and, and trust me when I tell you, I know a lot of people that are in college right now taking on almost a full load and working a full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, I promise you that whatever college you're in, they want to help you succeed. Right. It, it, I mean, yep. it's in their best interest to help mm-hmm. you with that. Go seek that out. I mean, don't take that struggle on. But if you really want to become a nurse or a doctor or whatever, you know, a marketing manager, know that that's your struggle right now. That is your every little every little struggle is a step forward for you. Right. You may have to do the bad stuff, right. but the good stuff on the other end is what you're struggling for. And you do that by staying in the present moment Mm -hmm. and moving a step at a time. Yep, absolutely. As opposed to worrying about what's going to happen in the future or fretting over what's happened in the past. Absolutely. That's not going to move you forward. And I think sometimes during those struggles, I mean, when it says moving, right? I mean, I think moving helps you to move, literally, Mm -hmm. right? By taking a walk or talking it over with someone else, some form of... Working through it, right, is moving forward. Absolutely, I agree with you. Just do, it, and if you can't do a lot, do a little, ten percent at a time. That's all you got to do. Is right. It, it, a lot of things will change in your life at ten percent at a time. And if it's really bad in that moment, find something that works for you. Absolutely, to get you out of that, to move forward. With you know, music, nature, family, looking at pictures. Um, maybe being getting away from your family, <laughs> you know, whatever the case may be. But you got to remove some of those negative things in your life sometimes to that are your struggles to move forward as well. But that doesn't mean it's permanent. Just means I need a break. I need I need a move. I need sure. I need a minute. And that and there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with taking a minute. But absolutely get that negativity out of your life, which goes into our next one. Other people's negativity is not your problem. Absolutely. I don't know how many times we take on that person's negativity. Right. You know, what we say all the time, never let anybody dictate how you show up in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, That involves don't carry other people's water. Yeah. Right? We did a whole show on this. Yeah. Not my circus, not my monkey. Right? Sometimes you have to walk away from people. And those that you can't walk away from, you're going to have to find positive in them or you're going to have to focus on something that's positive. You can't let other people's negativity be your problem. Yeah, you got to have your boundaries. I mean, and if you don't know what those are, experiment with them because, by gosh, if you don't, their negativity, whatever they want to do to you, you will let them do to you because you cannot let that, you can't stop them from pushing their negativity onto you. Right. Well, you can, yeah. It was interesting. I found a quote by Dale Doskin, mm-hmm. the CEO of Sedona Training Associates, and he said, Allow yourself to be transparent and as open as possible. If you're trying to protect yourself or prevent others from pulling you down, you are much more likely to be pulled down. Exactly. That reminded me of the crabs in a bucket. Of the, We've used that more than once. You put a bunch of crabs in a bucket 
and one crab will get to the top of the bucket and every crab will pull them back in the bucket. And that is just the nature of them. You know, they may see it as trying to protect them from the unknown, what's outside the bucket. Mm -hmm. But we do that with other people and other people do that to us, right? Sure. We are so afraid of the unknown or whatever that we let negative people continually pull us back in the bucket. And we, and it may not even be negativity like it's easily noticed. It could be somebody's life experience. You know, you could have a parent that never really went for anything or they just never really strive for anything. So they take their experiences and put them onto you. Yeah. Not in a negative way necessarily, but telling you, mm, you know, I don't know if you, you'll make it. Because they've never done that. Right. That's not necessarily negativity on their part. It's just their worldly experience. It's the same stuff. And their steps. intentions may be in the right place. Sure. But that's still pulling you back in the bucket. It's still pulling you back in the bucket. So, it, But you, when we see negativity in the world, we just need to label it as a spectrum like everything else in there our lives. Go. There you go. That, exactly. The next one is what's meant to be will eventually be. <laughs> fate or predetermined <laughs> sequence of events of outcomes that's what it means to be you know kind of that predetermined mm -hmm. thing but you know I, I'm not sure what you think about this but you know I, I really believe that life happens through us not to us so I'm not so much into luck or predetermined destiny mm -hmm. you know I think that life goes by our choices and, you know, kind of making those choices on what we believe will eventually maybe get us to what was meant to be. But I think it goes by choices. I, I'm, I'm not a firm believer in predetermined. Yeah, I, I don't believe in fate when it comes to yeah. the universe just does whatever. The way I take this is that, you know, whatever is meant to be will eventually be, meaning that you got to put some effort into this. If right. you're meant to be the president of the United States, it's not because you're sitting on your butt doing nothing. It's not like, you know, somebody's yeah. going to come knocking at your door. So the way I see it is, mm -hmm. whatever you are, wherever you're at, and you never change or you never move or you never grow, whatever is meant to be will eventually be. Yeah, 90% is choices. Yeah. You know, 5% may be luck and, you know, another 5% may be whatever. But, you know, I can tell you now, luck favors the prepared, you exactly. know. Exactly. What is it when opportunity meets preparation yep <laughs> there you go yeah well charlie had said in his quote you're never going to find a rainbow if you're looking down see yeah i think so that's exactly that's what exactly he's saying right. you got to yeah. follow the you got to follow the rainbow you got to keep looking ahead you got to keep moving ahead and if you're sitting and just waiting for fate to knock on your door yeah uh that it i maybe maybe you get really lucky um, but I, i'm not living my luck. life on luck right i'm gonna work for it if I want something in the future, I need to figure out what do I need to do today to get that in the future and start working for it. Well, I mean, and the only lucky man I've ever known was Jed Clampett because he shot and upcoming <laughs> the bubbling go. crude. So, I mean, go. I'm just saying, you know, it, it, we like to think that luck is out there or somebody that wins the lottery. Sure, yeah. that is lucky. It, they, they hit the sequence of numbers and that's what happened. But for the 99 point... 8% of us that that's never going to happen to, we got to go a different route. Right. So, right, you know. Exactly. I, I, yeah, 
That I struggle with that one a little bit. <laughs> uh, the next one, the best thing you can do is keep going. Yeah. Kind of, you yeah. know, never give up. We've kind of talked about that. The alternatives um, are dying or just existing. And yeah. I, I, today, I don't want to do either one of those, right? I don't yeah, want to die today. Want to I want exist. to exist. Right. Why do you want not want to live your life? I mean, I get it. We all sit there and dream about the day that, you know, we're going to own a boat or live in a high rise or whatever those things are. But then why do we just dream about those things? Why is it that, you know, well, I'll never get that because, you know, I, I work at this crummy job or it, mm-hmm. we, we do. It's like, man, we put ourselves down just to dream ourselves higher. Right. And it, I just, I, I don't understand and why. And we all do that. You know, yeah. we all have low self-esteem. We all have, you know, kind of low self-worth in areas that... We don't believe we can for whatever reason. Everybody has those self-doubts. Well, Um, nobody wants to be the person. I I don't want to rah-rah people because I don't believe that that's long-term. Yes, I can build you up and make you feel good about yourself. But you know what? Two weeks later from now, you're going to fall down. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. And and this is one thing that we talk about in this show a lot is that no matter what you do, no matter what you pursue, you will fail at it. That's right. <laughs> More times than you succeed, potentially. Yes. Right, and, exactly. Until you get it. Until you get right. it. And, and hopefully along the way, you will not lose the courage about picking yourself back up and moving forward. And if you get discouraged and you get in that place of, I don't want to keep going or down, we've all been there. Sure. Right? I, I feel like a complete failure. Insert here, whatever. There's nothing wrong with taking a break. No. Or regrouping or getting help. Or looking at something else. Maybe you need right. to pivot that. Right, exactly. So th- th- there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of you got to you got to keep going. You got to keep moving. Well, you got to be open to it. And I think that those are some of the things that people think. And I I've done this with my own career. There are certain things I wanted to pursue, and then found out I hated it. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't stand it. And you know, we've talked about it. And I you know, and everything you said. Well, then pivot to something else. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. You know, I don't. It, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I just find a different way, a different route. Right. You know? Exactly. And just, again, remember, you've never went further than you are right now. Exactly. So as long as you keep going, you're closer than you think most of the time. And you're sure further than you were a minute ago, a day ago, (laughs) or a month ago. So that's always good. Um, Nobody wants to live in regret. No, And I think that's a bad place to be. I think it's as bad as worry if you're Mm -hmm. living in regret because there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you got to, whatever it is, you just got to move forward. Right. And why not? I mean, you, you live a finite time on this earth. Yeah. Why not find ways to enjoy it? And granted, we do live in a country that does afford opportunities like that where other countries do not. And Mm -hmm. so be grateful for that and seek out what you want. Right. When I worked in the prison system, uh, that was one of the big things for me as being a college administrator was dealing with people who had low self-confidence when it came to what they needed to do Mm -hmm. to be successful and they had never finished anything in their life generally so that is a really a bad combination of wanting to quit all the time yeah and so that was my thing of no you can you can stop after this semester but you're not going to quit you're going to keep going you're going to keep going and you know being that cheerleader raw raw person but you got to finish things, right? Yeah. I mean, and that starts, I think, when you're, uh, when you're little, and I think it comes from seeing your parents finish things. But so many people, it gets hard, and they quit. Oh, absolutely, they do, yeah. And they never, then they never get farther than they are, right? Well, I tried. 
But did you? Did you? Right. Did you? Did you really? Um, yeah, I tried that one thing and it didn't work. Yeah. Okay. You know, they, they told me it would work. It didn't work. So, I, I, so I'm I on to something else. I'm and, not doing and that. And they just bounce around from something to something and then they feel like a complete failure because they've, they've never really accomplished anything. Right. What we're saying is it's like if you fail all the time, are you failing all the time at 500 different things or do you right. fail all the time right. at one thing? And remember, failure is a perception. It sure Again, is. so if you stick with it, just because you maybe modified it doesn't mean that you quit. It means that you quit doing what wasn't working and you figured out a way to try something different. Maybe exactly. it works, maybe it doesn't. That's success. That's not failure. That's figuring out how to keep forging ahead. Yeah. And that's what it means to keep going. You keep going even through your low self-esteem, your self-doubt, your failures, your perception of them, whether it's, you know, your perceived failures or somebody else's perceived mm-hmm. failure. You know, that's a big one, at least has been in my life anyway, of me feeling a failure because somebody else thought I was a failure. Yeah. I might not have felt that I was a failure, but... Yeah, that was put upon me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then then I'm down. I wasn't down until I talked to this person, <laughs> you know. But we got to remember that, again, life goes from choice to choice, moment to moment. And making different choices actually changes those moments and can put you in a different direction. But you still have to make choices to keep moving forward. Absolutely. And Charlie Chaplin said, failure is unimportant. It takes courage to make a fool of yourself. <laughs> but yes. doesn't it? You yes. know? <laughs> and, and, you know, and nobody wants to do something that they think that they're going to look stupid. No. Nobody, nobody wants to do that. But sometimes you got to do that to mm-hmm. keep going. Sometimes you're going to look stupid. Well, and I don't think that most people understand the concept of, I mean, even happened to me today, that I failed at something in a pretty big way. You know, I just said, hey, I did this. This is on me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I know where I did, and I went and fixed it. You know what I heard? Cool. Thanks for letting right. us know. And I think most people think that something extraordinary is going to, you know, they're going to fire me. They're going to, and so then for we don't try. But right. seldom is that the case. Well, as I said, they gave the statistic that 85% of the time, that worst case scenario or what we think is going to happen never happens. Never happens. And only 79% of the time. It's, uh, it's always manageable. Right. So well, I don't know what that number is, but it's really, really small of, oh my goodness, that worst case scenario even is partially true. Exactly. I mean, and there's always a workaround. There's always yeah. ways that can these problems can be fixed. Become a problem solver and you will fail less and less and less. Yep, exactly. So there you have it. We have one of the funniest men in history that some of the quotes that he said and some of the simple suggestions that he offers to have a better life. Yep. If you're sad or upset, remember to practice the steps we talk about. And I want to end with a Charlie Chaplin quote. Okay. He said, We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. And without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. Well, I say he's pretty damn close on that one. I think from what I've learned of him... From doing the show and being there and, and experiencing his life, he lived that. It certainly sounds that way. Yep. So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com. 
or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.